Good morning, everybody. Uh, as Alex mentioned, my name is Ben Montgomery, and I do help with Boys Kids Zone. And boy, that's a really fun privilege. I have four boys, so it's fun to be able to invest there. And I encourage all dads to do the same. Let's do this together. Uh, how's everyone today? Good? Yeah, that's like a question. I don't know. Should I ask that to a large group of people? I'm not quite sure what the response might be. But anyway, here we are. My wife, Lori, and I have been attending Ridgeview for almost three years. Uh, we are so glad to be here. We have five kids, four boys, one girl. The oldest is 13, and the youngest is three. You might see them around. Some of them have glasses. Uh, we live right up the road. I don't remember which way I'm facing right now. It's really close, which is a whole long story, different story of God's goodness to us. And we're really excited to see what God does in our community in the coming years. We're glad to be here together right now. Now, here's a timely story as we are continuing our Unstuck message series. Uh, a few uh, days ago, I forgot to have my afternoon cup of coffee. Uh, maybe you can relate. So that night, I woke up with a headache, and I could not go back to sleep. I felt stuck, and I started feeling sorry for myself. This is not what I want. I just want to sleep, you know, in perfect comfort. I tried to relax, but the headache kept coming. So did the thoughts. I've got work in the morning. What if I can't get enough rest? I'll be too tired. How am I going to work if I'm going to think for work? If it's like this, I, I, it's just too hard. And I got up, got some water. The house was dark and quiet. And you know what I thought then, right? I'm the only one dealing with this. No one knows my pain. Maybe I should wake somebody up just to tell them. And then, you know, I didn't do anything bad to deserve this. Is it bad to skip a coffee? It's not fair. Why is this happening to me, right? So many unhelpful thoughts from one caffeine headache. And it's a really small example of what happens to us as we run into the challenges of life. We start to feel stuck. We have to deal with a bunch of different enemy thoughts. They come at us. They each have the power to knock us in a ditch where we just spin our wheels. We don't make progress. Well, a caffeine headache, okay. So what about the big issues in life, the stuff that really hurts? How do we move past those? A headache is nothing. What about chronic pain? That doesn't feel fair. What about watching a loved one suffer? That could easily feel too hard. Or what about thinking that a relationship is broken beyond repair? That's not what you or I want. And you might be experiencing that right now. So if you've ever felt attacked by life, me too. I'm with you. And this unstuck series that we're going through is for people like us. God wants to help us with this. Today, we're going to look at something that you already know. Life is not fair. It isn't fair. And even maybe when it is, we can fool ourselves into thinking it's not, right? We compare ourselves to other people in very unhelpful ways. We feel so sorry for ourselves. Oh, I don't have as many followers on TikTok or book. I still haven't been to Mars, etc. Right? We can get ourselves into all kinds of trouble. We get stuck in the wrong kind of thinking. We make things worse. There is a better way. And today we're going to look at all this. But before we do that, let's pray together. God, our perfect heavenly Father, we've come here today with all kinds of challenges and worries and heartbreak. Life can feel so unfair. Please help us to learn from you right now. Please speak to each of us personally and clearly and help us to respond by trusting you and doing what you tell us to do. We pray this in your son's Jesus' name. Amen. 
Kids appeal a lot to fairness, right? Bobby gets to stay up late, so should I. It's not fair. Janie got to have a treat. Why can't I? It's not fair. Avery's in a better tax bracket than me. Avery gets paid more and has a better accountant. Avery wins from every angle. It's not fair. Kids. And what do we tell them? Sorry, life's not fair. The Bible's really clear about this. It's clear that God chooses different things for different people. Take a look at Acts 17, 26 to 27. From one man, he made every nation of men, that they should inhabit the whole earth. Some here, some there, some far away, different places. And he determined the time set for them in the exact places where they should live. So he decided where you would live, when you would live. 2022, here we are. God did this, pay attention to this part, so that men would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. God did this so that we would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him. So he made each of us to be unique, to live our lives at certain times and in certain places. You didn't get to choose where you were born. You didn't get to choose your parents or your brothers or sisters, did you? Seems pretty rare. God allows the differences in our lives that might seem unfair so that we would seek him and find him. And he is not far off. Let's keep this in mind as we continue this morning. A lot of what we experience in life is beyond our control. Can you control the weather? No. Can you control the traffic you drive in? No. Can you control your coworkers or your kids or your parents' responses, their attitudes, how they react when you're around? No. On that last one, you can maybe have more of an influence, but you still will never be in control of how those other people respond to life. But there is one thing you can control, though, and you know this. It makes a huge difference. Sometimes it makes all the difference. You can choose how you respond. I can choose how I respond. When life feels unfair, I can still choose my response. I'm still in charge of what I do when things seem unfair. I get to choose what I say, and I even get to choose what I think, even when I feel like I'm being mistreated. And what's great about that is what I think and say and do will have a huge impact on how my life goes, even with all the other stuff that I can't control. So I can make my life better by choosing a better attitude. Now, we know this, right? But okay, raise your hand if you've already perfected this great life skill. But maybe just raise a finger to be discreet. Raise a pinky. Because the rest of us are still working on it. It's going to take a while, a lifetime. And personally, I have a long way to go with this. Things don't turn out the way I want them to. I'm in a bad mood. In fact, sometimes things are fine. There's really nothing bad happening, nothing unfair. And I still get all worked up. I've been working on this for decades. When I was a senior in high school, I spent an hour just about every week meeting with a professional counselor, weekly appointment. This professional counselor who I sarcastically referred to as my shrink. I was 17 and had the attitude to prove it. The reason I had to go see this guy every week was because my junior year grades right before this had been horrible, ridiculously bad given the circumstances. Like, I, try, I had to try to get my grades that bad. My parents basically said, this can't continue. We have to figure this out. We're going to pay for you to go talk to this counselor. So I went. I liked my shrink. He was down to earth, didn't seem to judge me, and I had plenty to tell him. Mrs. So-and-so hates me. Mr. So-and-so has it out for me. They're, they're not married, by the way. It's just a funny coincidence with their names. 
I would tell the counselor about how I did this and that because this other person had done this other this and that. It was the only thing for me to do. Obviously, how else could I respond when everything was so unfair? Now, here's something I didn't realize at the time. I blamed my teachers for my problems, sometimes my parents or my friends too. But in the end, I was blaming God. Did I really think that any of these people were out to get me? That they wanted to spend their time and energy trying to ruin things for me? It's pretty far-fetched. So, if things felt unfair all the time, who's left to be mad at? There's a verse I came across many years later that speaks to this, Proverbs 19.3. A man's own folly ruins his life, yet his heart rages against the Lord. A man's own folly ruins his life, yet his heart rages against the Lord. Or, to put it another way, a dum-dum messes himself up and then wants to blame God. Dum-dum always makes me laugh. It's just funny to me. There it is. Well, with this counselor, after weeks of complaining, there was a shift. I would sit in his office and describe some friend who was acting like a victim and realize I was doing the same thing. It was a breakthrough, which I still remember all these years later. I talked myself into corner after corner that way and finally realized that I was blaming everyone else instead of focusing on how I could choose my response. Now, quick side note. As we've heard in this series already, these enemy thoughts, they can be a specific attack on our courage, courage to do what's right even when it's hard. Instead of doing what's right, we decide that since the outcome is beyond our control, we're just going to do whatever. We loosen our grip on our responsibilities, which causes damage. And that's what I did with my grades in high school. After this realization, my attitude, my grades improved. My teachers noticed the difference. My counselor wrote me a college recommendation and... I'm sure my parents were relieved. High fives all around. I wish I could say that I didn't need to learn that lesson again, but of course I did, and probably still do. I was in a drama club and acting in high school and college, and there were two different times, not one, but two, when I thought I was going to get a big acting role that I really wanted, but I didn't get it. Someone else got it. Both times, my fault, as it turned out, Although that was very hard to see at the time, not much humility, for one thing. And to make matters worse, at least in my mind, I was cast in both shows in minor roles, which meant that I got to watch the guys who'd gotten the role I wanted rehearse and perform for weeks and weeks. Poor me. Well, the first guy forgot his lines repeatedly, even in our final performance. And the second guy got to sing a couple of solos and was off pitch a lot. This is... Really, I'm not just holding a grudge. I hope, I hope I'm not. <laughs> memory, if memory serves. In response to all this, I threw pity parties for myself, right? Ragers. I couldn't understand what was happening to me, what's happening. And basically, I had It's Not Fair printed across my forehead for months at a time. A man's own folly ruins his life, yet his heart rages against the Lord. Or to put it another way, being arrogant and presumptuous messes you up, but you're shouting that it's God's fault, not yours. Life hack, your arms are too short to box with God. There are a lot of recent examples of this for me too, but you get the idea, missed opportunities, missed promotions, feeling like someone's playing favorites. When am I going to be someone's favorite? It's easy for me to feel sorry for myself. Maybe you can relate. 
So if you ever feel this way, I'm with you. After all, you didn't cause a pandemic. You didn't raise the prices of everything. You didn't make Fontana so windy. You're just trying to get through the week, take care of your loved ones, and hopefully build something that lasts. All this struggle, it can feel really unfair. I want to switch gears now because we're in good company. God's people have faced this unfairness for a long, long time. You're part of an ancient tradition. Thousands of years ago, there was a king named Jehoshaphat who was trying to lead God's people to follow God with their whole hearts. Very cool. In fact, the fat at the end of Jehoshaphat, his name was even spelled with a PH, not an F. It's a little gift from his parents. King Jehoshaphat had some ups and downs. You should read his whole story this week. But when we jump into it in 2 Chronicles uh, chapter 19, we see him charging his team of leaders with judging justly and carefully. You guys are in charge of justice here. Do it justly. Do it carefully. And then he tells them, act with courage, and may the Lord be with those who do well. That's a good plan and a good hope. But then things get really unfair for King Jehoshaphat and his people. It's a little hard to say. I'm going to do my best. They find out that a huge army has gathered to attack them. And not only that, but the army is all people that the Israelites had specifically not attacked when God brought them into the land. The people that they had had mercy on were now coming to destroy them. It's not fair. In the middle of the unfairness, Jehoshaphat kept his focus on God. He kept his focus on God. With the people gathered in Jerusalem, he prayed and asked God to save them. He gave the unfairness of the situation over to God. And then he finished with this in 2 Chronicles 20, 12. Oh, our God, will you not execute judgment on them? For we are powerless against this great horde that is coming against us. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. When life feels unfair, we still get to choose our response. And the way to respond is to turn to God and ask him to help us move forward. We can push through and experience God's goodness if we turn to him for help. After Jehoshaphat prayed, God sent them a message. Go out to face the enemy and don't be afraid. You won't have to fight them. Can you imagine? Jehoshaphat believed God. He took him at his word and led the people to do the same thing. He had singers go out in front of the soldiers, go out in front of the army and sing, give thanks to the Lord for his love endures forever. I was thinking about that as we were singing this morning. Right? It's your breath in our lungs, so we pour out our praise to you only, moving forward towards what might feel like a hopeless battle. Right? God, you do great things moving forward. Well, that's one way to start a ballad. It would not have been my first instinct, but actually it was exactly right. In fact, this is so fascinating. The Bible tells us that as they began to sing and praise God, that's when God set an ambush against the enemy, and the enemy soldiers started attacking one another until no one was left. God showed his power and love and rescued King Jehoshaphat and the people, and it was beyond what they could have imagined. In fact, they went to get all the stuff that the armies had left behind, and it took them three days. Here's a question to think about. Would God have done this if they had decided to fight on their own strength? 
only? They hadn't turned to him in humility for their rescue? Follow-up question. How often do you and I try to push through on our own instead of turning in humility to God for help? For me, the answer is way too often. It's my first instinct, but it's the wrong instinct. Now, having your nation attacked with hundreds of thousands of people threatened with destruction, that's intense, that's terrible, that's very big, but maybe that's a little hard to relate to also. But there are also people who suffer through very unfair things in a very personal way. Maybe you have. Something deeply personal, like you or I feeling mistreated by family. That sort of trouble can cut just as deeply. So let's turn another corner here and look at another example from God's people. We go back in time from King Jehoshaphat, farther back. There's a young man named Joseph. If anyone could say it's not fair, Joseph could. Uh, this, by the way, this is not the same Joseph as Jesus, Mary, and Joseph. Uh, the guy we're talking about today lived thousands of years, uh, maybe something like that before Jesus, a long time earlier. Now, there's a lot of interesting things about Jesus. I wish we could get into everything, but it would take more time than we have right now. So you should read his story this week, too. It's fascinating. You could start in Genesis chapter 37, or you could go back even further if you want some more of the wild family background. It's amazing how God uses messed up people to show the world how good he is. Joseph was the 11th of 12 sons, big family, lots of half-brothers, lots of drama. His dad, Jacob, had done some shady things and had run away from home afraid that his own brother was going to kill him. Joseph was Jacob's, quote, son of his old age, as some translations put it. And so... Jacob loved Joseph more than all his older brothers. Not cool, Jacob. Not fair. Our story picks up when Joseph was 17. His older brothers are all adults at this point, but the Bible describes him as a boy. I don't know, maybe he was 17 and had the attitude to prove it. It turns out Joseph was out with some of his brothers watching the sheep at one point, and he tattled on them. Classic younger brother move. Classic brother move, older and younger. But snitches get stitches, right? (laughs) His brothers were angry. A little later, Joseph got a fancy robe from his dad, all different colors, right? No one else had anything like it. There weren't 11 robes. There was only one for Joseph. What could go wrong? Hey, guys, how are the sheep? Oh, this? (laughs) That's just something dad gave me, no big deal. He probably bought it used on eBay. You know dad, he's a bit of a trickster. Oh, who am I kidding? This is the one-of-a-kind item, and I love it. The Bible says Joseph's brothers hated him and, quote, could not bring themselves to speak peaceably to him. Then it got even worse. Joseph had a dream, which maybe he should have kept to himself, Hey, guys, crazy dream last night. We were all gathering bundles of grain, and my bundle stood up, and all your bundles bowed down to mine. Is that random, or does that mean something? (laughs) The Bible says they hated him even more. Then it got worse again. He had another dream that 11 stars, his brothers, and the moon, his mother, and the sun, his father, all bowed down to him. He told the family, and this time even his father got mad. Maybe just keep a dream journal. 
Now, so far, for fun, the way I'm telling this story might make Joseph seem like a jerk. It might make it seem like he deserved whatever was coming next. But that's not true. In fact, you and I have acted like jerks at different times, right? And yet, in our lives, the things we've suffered are not all just because of our sins and our mistakes. And that's how it was for Joseph also. So let's pick up the story in Genesis chapter 37. Look at this. Here he is. He's come out to see them in the fields, check how they're doing. And they saw him from afar. And before he came near them, they conspired against him to kill him. They said to one another, here comes this dreamer. Come now, let us kill him and throw him into one of the pits. We won't even bury him. Then we will say that a fierce animal has devoured him, and we will see what will become of his dreams. That's pretty crazy. They weren't messing around. But God had other plans. Through a twist of fate, a caravan passed by at just the right time, headed for Egypt, and Joseph's brothers decided to sell him into slavery instead of murdering him. They went back, they put blood all over Joseph's technicolor dream coat and asked their dad if he recognized it. Can you imagine? Hey, this robe was just out there in the fields. Does this mean anything to you? Can you confirm if this is your son's unique article of clothing? I mean, that's, to me, that's really a cold and vicious hatred, not just against Joseph, but against their father, too. Now, Joseph, down in Egypt, was sold to a guy named Potiphar, who was the captain of the guard for Pharaoh. Pharaoh's the king of everything, right? So Potiphar is a high-level guy in a very powerful country. And Joseph did such a great job for Potiphar, and God blessed Joseph's work so much that eventually Potiphar, quote, had no concern about anything but the food he ate. That's such a great turn of phrase. In other words, he left Joseph in charge of everything. Now, just as it looked like the unfairness of Joseph's slavery was going to be turned into something good, his master Potiphar's wife just tried to seduce him. Joseph repeatedly denied her, kept away from her, said he would not sin against God, so eventually she accused him of rape, and he was thrown into prison. Not fair. In the prison where Joseph did not deserve to be, God blessed Joseph again. Whatever he did succeeded, and the jailer put Joseph in charge of everything in the jail. Do we see a pattern here? If we do, then we can guess the next part. Not fair again. Joseph helps one of Pharaoh's personal assistants who was in jail, and he says, hey, when you get out, remember me to Pharaoh. The assistant goes out, goes back to Pharaoh, and forgets to mention Joseph for two years. Two extra years in prison where he did not deserve to be in the first place. After all this, how easy would it have been for Joseph to give up, loosen his grip on his responsibilities, and just be mad at God? It must have been so tempting. But he kept trusting God and doing what God had given him to do. He kept trusting God and doing what God had given him to do. In this case, serving the jailer and the other prisoners. After two years, because of his faithfulness, in spite of the unfairness of his circumstances, God raised him up and used all the unfair suffering for good. Now, in the interest of time, I'm going to hit the fast-forward button now, but God really used it for good. And here are the highlights. Joseph gives a miraculous dream interpretation. There's a terrible famine coming. Joseph is made second in command for all of Egypt. Remember Potiphar and the jailer? Same idea. Pharaoh just chooses what he eats, leaves the rest to Joseph. Famine everywhere, but Joseph stored food for Egypt. 
Joseph's brothers come to Egypt to get food, reconciliation. Jacob gets to see Joseph again. Pharaoh lets Joseph move the whole family to Egypt to provide for them. And at the end of it all, Joseph said something to his brothers that gives the big picture. This is his response to all the unfairness that he suffered after his brothers sold him. Genesis 50, 20. As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. God wants you to seek him and find him. Here's what I think God might want us to think about right now. You're suffering if you don't loosen your grip on the things God has given you to do can lead to great blessings for others. God can use your troubles for good. The best example of this is Jesus Christ, the Son of God who came down to live a human life with us. Jesus understands our troubles. He's been tempted the way we've been tempted, and yet he never sinned. Jesus told a story once about a landowner who hired a bunch of workers for the day. They each agreed to the same amount, but some started later in the day and didn't have to work as long. When the ones who had worked all day didn't get paid extra, can you guess what they said? It's not fair. Yeah. But in the story that Jesus tells, the landowner basically tells them to get glad in the same pants they got mad in. He says, I'm not being unfair to you. This is what we agreed to. Do you resent that I'm choosing to be kind to the others? He kind of goes back to what we looked at earlier. Are we going to be mad at God when he has the right to do what he wants with his universe? Are we going to resent his kindness to others? So Jesus understood that God was in charge of everything, that God decides what happens. And at the same time, God sent Jesus to endure horrible, horrible punishment that was meant for us. Jesus did not resent God's kindness to us. He embraced it. Before he was killed on the cross, he was treated shamefully. But he did not focus on how unfair it was. 1 Peter 2.23 is a great example of Jesus' response. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. We can do that too. The enemy thought comes, it's not fair, so why bother doing what's right? It comes for all of us. But God offers us the help we need to follow Jesus' example, to continue entrusting ourselves to him who judges justly. There will be justice. He invites us also to turn to him the way Jehoshaphat did. We don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. And when the unfairness and the hurt are more personal and they cut deeper than we think we can bear, God can even give us the perspective and the ability to forgive that he gave Joseph. You meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. As we wrap up today, I'd like to just really quickly look at some practical ways that we can move forward. I think that for most, if not all of us, this struggle with thoughts of unfairness is going to be a lifelong journey. But here's some ways to walk with God toward victory, step by step, year by year. God leads us to victory as we, first of all, identify the attack. 
If you're, not, if you're not just feeling that something's unfair, but you're thinking about it over and over again, you may be under attack. It's probably an enemy attack. If you're tempted to not do what you know is right because you think something's unfair, you're probably under attack. Redirect your thoughts. Did you know you could do that? Not every thought in your head is help, helpful. Not every thought in your head is biblical. You get to choose I get to choose whether to keep thinking about the junk that gets in. That's not true. So we identify the attack. This is not from God. In fact, it's probably from the enemy. I can choose to stop thinking this way. And then we redirect our thoughts towards God's word, God's ways. Memorizing verses from the Bible and rehearsing them to yourself is a great way to help get your perspective back to reality. Just one verse of God's truth that you always have ready for the Holy Spirit to use. Isaiah 26.3, I think it is, you will keep in perfect peace him whose mind is steadfast because he trusts in you. Oh, God, I'm not trusting in you right now. This feels so unfair. Help me. Help me to trust in you. I don't feel your perfect peace. Help me to trust in you. God also leads us to victory as we refuse to blame God or others. It's a dead end, right? We can't control others, not really, and we definitely can't control God. We can control our responses. Blaming others is a waste of time and effort, and it's a great technique for not doing what we know is right. Instead, again, we need to shift our focus to figure out how we can move forward in God's ways towards God's goals. God leads us to victory as we trust in his goodness and in his power. Let me ask you, are are God's goodness and power his love, his sovereignty, are they real to you? For me, it's, it's hard to understand sometimes. It's, it's hard to really believe it. But Proverbs 3, 5 and 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. What can you do to trust him more? To acknowledge him in all your ways. And therefore... Experience his power and goodness more. And finally, God leads us to victory as we choose gratitude. No matter how unfair life may seem, you know this and I know this, it's even worse for someone else. In fact, it's probably way worse for a whole lot of people. We have it so good compared to so many. And when we focus on thanking God for specific things that he does for us, the disappointments and hurts start to soften. They don't go away, right? We don't pretend they're not real. But as we focus on gratitude, they start to soften. So choose gratitude. To sum all this up, I'd like to leave you with two verses. I hope these give you strength and courage. I know we all need it. Let's take a moment to consider these. Romans 8.28, and we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Romans 8, 31. 
What then shall we say in response to this? If God is for us, who can be against us? If God is for us, who can be against us? In the middle of the unfairness of life, God wants you to seek him and find him. As you turn to him in humility and follow him as your king, he is for you. Who could be against you? I'd like to invite the band up right now. We're going to get ready to receive our offering. And as we do every week, as Pastor Alex, I think, mentioned earlier, we talk about next steps. What's the next step that you could take today? We try to always have suggestions for these because God's word is meant to be lived out in real life. Here are some steps to think about, or maybe God gave you a different one of your own. Either way, joy and peace come from trusting him and obeying him. You might want to memorize Romans 8.28 so that you have it with you the next time you face an enemy thought. You might want to take the time to read the story of Joseph this week so you can think more about his example. And finally, you might want to make a gratitude list and thank God for his kindness. There's so much to be thankful for that we hardly ever think about. Slow down. Make a list that you can keep adding to and see how God uses that to help your perspective. Life's not fair. You feel it. You know it. We all feel it. But I'm so grateful that God's with us, and I'm so grateful that we're in this together. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for today, for another day of life. Thank you for all the incredible kindness you show us. It's really easy to forget how privileged we are, how much we have, and it's all from your hand. And yet, our life is not the same as someone else's, and so we start comparing. I start comparing. I do it all the time, and it's hard. Help us to have your perspective, Father. Help us to value the things that you value. And as we have to fight that enemy thought, it's not fair. We have to fight it again and again. Please help us. Give us the humility to turn to you for help, not try to do it on our own. Help us to store up your word in our heart so that we have it as a tool, as a weapon to defend ourselves, as a gift to give to others. And please show us and the world around us how very, very good you are. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.